Welcome to the Mini Break Podcast, your daily roundup of the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, April 29th, and I am your host, Max Rothman. And probably for the first time ever, it actually is today, Monday, April 29th. Typically, we record these podcasts the night before, and uh, we, we state that so that because it, for all you listeners, it, it actually is today. Uh, but we had some technical difficulties last night, and so uh, me and my co-host, who, who I will introduce in a second, are waking up nice and early, 6.30 a.m. on this lovely Monday morning to bring you your tennis coverage. So joining me to do that is Cracked Rackets contributor and tennis betting expert, Kale Hammond. How are we doing, man? Um, I'm not doing too hot right now, i got to be honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> But I'm excited and I'm and I'm awake, so let's 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 crank this out. It was a fun weekend of tennis. There's some good stuff that happened, so let's uh, let's was. give people what they want. Absolutely, that's 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 what we're here for, giving the people what they want. And uh, so one thing we will do, because I'm sure people want this too, is a little breakdown of the Thrones action from last night. Because oh my god, I I I don't even I, I might not even have words to break it down, but. It, that was the most ridiculous episode I've I've seen, and so we'll we'll give you a little cue to step yeah, out of the did podcast. Yeah, it did not disappoint. That's all I'll say. <laughs> oh, not at all. And and we'll give you a cue to to step out of the podcast uh, if you don't want any spoilers towards the end. Uh, and, and shout out to to Mike Cation who, after a, a long weekend of you know commentating, uh, posted on Twitter that he was you know he couldn't wait for for this episode, and I think he's like internet went down it was, it was kind of funny watching him tweet about that uh but glad you got to to see the episode and, and congrats to you also for uh getting your coverage covered on uh on tennis channel and, and i'm sure kale you you were aware of that as well uh, yep. but but let's let's start with one other shout out uh to our michigan boy andrew fenty uh who gave jj wolf his first loss of the season in a 4-2 loss uh, to ohio state the only singles point uh, one for Michigan, just kind of a, a pretty crazy result for the freshman, and and I think in our uh, first uh, edition of of this podcast that we tried last night, uh, Kale, you mentioned that his father was a former mayor of Washington yeah, D.C. Yeah, so so I was training at College Park um, in 2009, and when I was there with Dennis Kudla, Francis Tiafo, Mitchell Frank, Junior Orr, all those guys, and. Um, there were these two little twins running around, just totally crazy, rambunctious little kids, the Fenty twins. And anytime their dad was coming around, it, it was like on red alert. Everyone had to be on their best behavior at the academy <laughs> because their dad was the mayor of Washington, D.C. at the time, um, Mayor Fenty. And I had no idea. I saw their names and I looked them up and I saw this kid play tennis and he had a brother, and I was like, "Oh my God, that's got to be that kid." So, I mean, he was just—he was just learning how to play when I was there. I think he was probably nine or ten years old, um, maybe even younger. And now he beat the best college player in the country. So good for him. That's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, super impressive result. And he's been, you know, someone that people have been on the lookout for 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 quite some time now. Uh, so, you know, shout out to him for for a great win and. Uh, one other thing before we move on to the tennis, uh, another event that uh, happened this weekend uh, was the Ojai tournament. And, and this is a tournament that 
uh, is a high school, college, and professional tournament. Uh, so this is a tournament that I actually got to play in when I was in in high school at Harvard Westlake. Uh, Two time semifinalist. Let's uh, a little a little shout out. Um, <laughs> but this is a really cool tournament. It's it's played near Weil. Uh, tennis academy and uh, it's it's a really cool venue you know people from you know all, all throughout town come to watch and it's super open you can see all the tennis both the high school the the collegiate and the the professional tournament so just a, a cool couple of results from from the weekend uh usc took the pac-12 men's championship they took down cal 4-0 uh, and from the women's side stanford defeated ucla 4-2 uh so two two of the college results there and on the men's side, uh, two guys that we've interviewed on the Cracked Interviews podcast, Ray Sarmiento and Carusel. Uh, they had a, a final match where Carusel won in straights. And, uh, you know, just a quick plug for the Cracked Interviews podcast. If you haven't had a chance to check out those interviews, uh, please do. I did one with Ray a, a little bit back, and Carew has been on, you know, many a, a Great Shot podcast as well. So if you haven't checked out the Great Shot podcast, do that. Um, so, you know, cool results there, and uh, one one other result that's uh, kind of cool to to see in the CIF, the high school portion, uh, Kai Brady and Sean Holt, the Palos Verdes juniors, uh, they were the number two seed, and, and they took the title here at Ojai, uh, and so for Sean Holt, he is now the third person in his family to take an Ojai title, his brother, Brandon Holt took a title back in 2014, uh, and then their mom, Tracy Austin, took a title back in the day, and so uh, kind of cool for their family to, uh, to see that. Yeah, that's really cool, and Sean is the homie, by the way. Sean is like <laughs> my guy. I see a lot of myself in that kid. He's just always in good spirits, and he's always all smiles, and so I see a lot of myself in that kid. He's the man. Hell yeah, and and I guess I got to meet him and maybe even bring on the uh, the Holt family to, to the podcast. Get, no, I'm get sure they would here. love to come on. <laughs> I don't know if you could get Tracy though, but but maybe if she gets her kids on it, you know, who knows? But then you're yeah. doing a four a four person podcast, which is, who that'd be pretty tough. <laughs> that that could get messy. <laughs> I did I did see her at the UTR tournament and and tried to snag her for a podcast. So, uh, we'll we'll see if we can make that happen. But we do have a lot of ATP tennis to talk about and challenge tennis. So uh, let's get to it. So I think the first tournament that I want to talk about is Barcelona because you know huge result for Dominic team taking his first title there and, and stopping Nadal from winning his 12th uh, you know this is just a, an impressive run for team who starts this tournament taking down excuse me taking taking down Diego Schwartzman three and three then goes through Haumi Munar who's been on a roll uh, the, the last couple weeks I mean he took down Tiafo in the round before he takes Munar down five and one, then goes through Pella five and two, then goes through Nadal four and four, and then ends the this streak beating Medvedev four and zero. So just a, I mean a dominant week uh, for team. I do want to start by breaking down the Nadal match. So this is a match that I, as I just said, he won four and four. You know, Kale, I think we saw some really impressive defense from team all week, but it seemed like Nadal was the one really on the defense here in this match. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously one four and four. He's beaten him four years in a row on clay. Um, so he's got the belief, which is everything um, when you're playing a guy like Nadal. And look, I mean, 
this is sort of the first time I can remember where someone else other than Nadal looked like the better athlete um, on that particular day. Djokovic has done it um, many a time, but this is the first time someone other than Djokovic has looked like the better athlete. It reminded me of like the, the I can't remember, the 2012, 13, um, when the San Antonio Spurs beat the Miami Heat in the NBA championship. <laughs> Um, Kawhi Leonard. It was like the first time anyone's like looked like a better athlete on a basketball court than LeBron James. Kawhi dominated that series, and they got it. And this sort of reminded me. I was like, it was like sort of reminiscent of that. Like Dominic Team looked like the more comfortable and better athlete, and he was moving quicker. He was moving more explosively and more confidently. And Nadal's getting better. He's getting back on track. He admitted that. After playing the worst match on clay in 14 years, he said this was a great improvement. I'm happy with my progress, which is good. You got to believe that that's the case if he says it. But um, look, it's tough to beat Dominic Team on clay. He really makes it suck. Like he'll stay out there all day. He'll try all these different tactics. His kick serve is unbelievable, and his he hits the, one of the heaviest balls on tour, and he's amazing. So, touche. I mean, so I mean, you say that, right? Like he, you know, he did say he played the worst, you know, match ever on clay back in Monte Carlo, and you know, not not the result he wanted there. Um, you know, losing losing in the semifinals to Fonini, but I'm I'm not so convinced that. I mean, yes, he's stepped it up from there, but it, you know, he had a, a tough run in this tournament. He has a tough three setter with Leonardo Mayer in the first round, and and Struff pushed him pretty hard in the quarters and in a five and five match. He, I, I don't know what it is, but to me, he he looks, you know, a notch slower than he used to. Yeah, I agree. He's not moving as explosively as he always looks, um, and I think that's pretty apparent. But maybe he'll get it back. I mean, normally he's starting. I don't know. I mean, I think beating him three out of five. Is, is a completely different ball game, um, but we'll see. It's going to be interesting. The clay court season definitely just got a lot more interesting. Oh yeah. So I mean, that set, like you said, three out of five against Nadal and and guys like Djokovic as well. One, two of the hardest guys to beat uh, in that format. Do you still keep Nadal at you know the the favorite for the French? Yeah, Nadal's obviously the favorite. He's only lost there twice. Um, I know. <laughs> yeah, no, he's obviously so the crazy. He's only lost there twice. It's not even close. And uh, then Djokovic, you probably still have him as the second favorite. Um, we'll see how he does in the next two tournaments in Rome and um, Madrid. And then team, you have him as the third favorite, maybe even second favorite over Djokovic if you're so inclined. But the futures, the betting odds, team is like plus seven fifty right now to win the French Open, and that's a, that's as good as bet as you're gonna get get on there. Oh anyway. yeah. Um, I, I'm with you there. Yeah. From from the betting expert, everyone, if you're uh, if you're willing to take a bet, I, I'd look at team. And you know, w- one last thing before we move on, just kind of unfortunate. Team ranked five in the world right now. He's bound to you know go up against a Nadal or a Djokovic uh, before the final, uh, and, and maybe even before before the semis. So you know. Not not exactly the the draw for either Nadal or Djokovic that they'd want to see if you know they get team in, in their half. Uh, so, but we'll we'll get some you know pretty high quality tennis, but before that that semi and final. Uh, but let, let's move on to the other semifinal from Barcelona. Uh, this is a match with Daniil Medvedev and Kenichi Kori, and 
this was a super fun match to watch. This is a match that Medvedev wins 6-4-3-6-7-5 in a two-hour and 24-minute thriller. I mean, if you want to watch backhands galore, just go watch the highlights from this match. These guys were ripping backhands back and forth. And, uh, you know, honestly, I, I think potentially a, a flaw from Nishikori in this match. I, I think if you've watched enough Medvedev, you know, play to the forehand. I mean, the, the dude's backhand is so solid. Uh, but, I mean, I, I loved watching this match. Kale, what, what did you see here from Medvedev that, that was so, you know, good from him? Just the way he moves, you know, how well he moves uh-huh. for being six foot six, and how hard he hits the ball. Um, the guy, like, he has a sort of unorthodox stroke production. Everything happens sort of late, and then he just sort of cranks it. But his timing is unbelievable. So his movement and his timing of his – because it's not that easy to time the ball like that with big swings, and he is amazing at doing so. So that's what I saw, his movement and timing, um, and his power too. And, and honestly, the guy had two clay court wins entering the, the in his career, entering this season. And then he made semifinals back-to-back tournaments, so – Monte Carlo and then Barcelona. So whatever yeah. off-season training he did on clay, it worked. I would love to find out what it was because I myself suck on clay just like he did, <laughs> and now he's good on clay. So that'd be it'd be it'd be nice to figure out what he did to improve his uh, clay court confidence. Yeah, I, I mean, I I agree. I mean, not not only did he you know win or get to the semis of Monte Carlo, he takes out Tsitsipas and Djokovic. Uh, on his way there and so I mean the guys clearly figured it out on the clay uh, and we argued on again on the on the lost draft of this pod uh, whether you know he had better movement than uh, Zverev and you know we disagreed I, I think he does uh, you you don't think he does but uh, maybe, maybe we shouldn't leave it to the Twitter fans we might have to throw a little, a little Twitter poll uh, out for everyone to, to vote and see what other people think. Yeah, how nerdy would that Twitter, Twitter who moves <laughs> who moves better between Zverev and Taylor? <laughs> who cares? But yeah, it'd be it'd be funny. I think Zverev moves a little better and it's, a little more naturally, but but oh well. It's purely for Gruskin. The the kid already put one out about the best American mover on clay. So this is this is a, a for Gruskin only. Uh, he'll probably be the only one voting anyways. But uh, let, let's move on to the final match of this tournament, and, and this is the match that, as I mentioned, was the team versus Medvedev final, and, you know, uh, pretty much just a, a demolition of Medvedev in this match. He, I mean, team wins it 4-0. Uh, I know you got to watch the whole match, so just give me your first thoughts when you when you saw this. I mean, when I first watched, I turned on, um, team wasn't playing very well, he was he was sort of letting Medvedev rush him a little bit. Um, Medvedev was stepping up in the court and, and ripping, ripping those flat, deep ground strokes. The depth that, Med, that Medvedev hits is astounding. He gets the ball through the court. It's better than almost anyone. And um, so he was ripping, he ripping his backhand, and then and then he got down three zero, and then he started slicing every ball. And Medvedev um, would have to bend. And he's six six. He'd have to get down low, bend his knees. He couldn't. Um, he couldn't do the same damage off of his backhand when Team sliced it as he could when he hit over it because it bounced up and is to his strike zone. He's such a tall guy. So Team literally sliced every single backhand from then on out. And once he started doing that, he could take control of the point because Medvedev wasn't able to use his backhand as a weapon and had to sort of you know just hit it up and over the net. And he's a smart enough player not to go for dumb winners. 
and then team would get control of the point, and then he um, would also use a good job of using his drop shot to keep him off balance. So after he got down 3-0, Dominic team just said, okay, Medvedev, if you're going to beat me, you're going to have to hit 57 balls a point. And Medvedev wasn't having it and said, F this, I'm out. And uh, team won 12 of 13 games. And also Medvedev was a little fatigued. He had people work on the shoulder. You could tell that he was not quite 100%, which makes sense because the guy's played more matches on tour than anyone this year. Yeah, I mean, a, a few things there. One, the the team slice is just... I mean, it is tough on the clay. He disguises it so well with the drop shot. I mean, he, you, half the time he'll he'll you know hit a drop shot when you think he's about to pound a slice deep into the corner, and uh, it, it's really tough to read. Um, and then on the Medvedev front, you know, this is the the second tournament in a row where he pretty much just blew a crazy lead. He was he was leading Lajovic five one, and then loses twelve in the next thirteen. And you know, same thing here was leading team three uh, zero, and then loses twelve in the next thirteen. So, you know, maybe some fatigue, uh, maybe some mental something mentally there too. Uh, you, know, you hate to see that, but uh, and also uh, the clay doesn't help him at all. Like I no. know he does well on clay, but there's nothing about his game that the clay helps. Not a single thing. He hits the ball flat. It's not like he's got an amazing kick serve like team. He's got a flat serve. He hits flat ground strokes. And, yeah, I mean, the, the clay does not help him at all. So the fact that he was able to do this is just a testament to, you know, how impressive he's been and, and his consistency, too. The consistency of his ground strokes for Medvedev is amazing. Hitting it that flat and hard and that consistent is, is really, really hard. And it's amazing I mean, he can do that. Yeah, especially on the backhand side, the dude was just ripping backhand cross courts, and um, but also, I mean, look, looking at the serve percentages from him, he served fifty one percent. He only won thirty six percent of his first serves. I mean, you're just you're not winning anything winning thirty six percent of your first serve nope. points. Um, but you know, another weird thing from this match before we move on, th- there was a a video of him um, when he was. I think he was, you know, on his changeover, and he was chugging salt straight out of a salt bottle. <laughs> and it is the most psychopath move I've I've ever seen. Well, it's more psychopath doing that or drinking pickle juice. I, I think chugging, I think just pouring straight salt in your mouth is is more psycho than pickle juice. Pickle juice is gross, and and I I would never do it for the sake of cramping, but. The salt, man. What do you like? That, he didn't even. It's not even like he chased it. He just like threw the salt in his mouth. It was like, yeah, I'm chilling. Let's go play some tennis. That <laughs> is ridiculous. Uh, so don't don't f- with uh, Daniil Medvedev. The dude is uh, a uh, prescribed psychopath. Uh, but let's let's move on to our next topic. Um, you know, <laughs> it's funny when, when I was prepping for this pod, I was looking at the Budapest tournament, and, and as we were talking beforehand, uh, I was like, so we're going to break down this match, and we're like, no. It's <laughs> no, like, no, the guy moved up to, like, Berrettini moved up to, like, I think top 40 in the world. It's great, but I honestly, like, I have only seen him play, like, once or twice. There's, I really don't have that much to say you know, about <laughs> it. I can talk about Krajinovic. I can tell you my Krajinovic story when I was at IMG um, for a you know, an inter-academy um, tournament, we were there, and our coach goes, hey, guys, do you want to be a, you guys want to know what a professional tennis player looks like? And we go over, and it's a 12-year-old Philip Krajinovich just absolutely raking the ball and going side to side, moving like crazy, just like the talent level is just out of this world. 
and I watched Krajinovich play when I was 12, and I was similar age. I was probably 14, and I just thought to myself, oh, boy, that is a <laughs> whole different ball game." <laughs> well, I mean, he, he did make it to the finals of this tournament and, and had a tough three-set loss to Berrettini, so, I mean, he he was right. He, he did make it to the pros, and, and he does, you know, rip the absolute shit out of the ball. Um, but, you know, as you said, not, not the most exciting tournament here. I mean, I guess kind of interesting how had a lot of seeds uh, losing early in this match. I mean, Chilich loses in his first round match. He gets a bye, but then loses to Cuevas, 5-7-7-6-7-6. And Chorich loses to Kranovich in his second round match, 4-5. Uh, and five. So, you know, kind of, kind of two interesting results there. But other than that, um, unless there's anything else you want to bring up, we can we can move on. I'm I'm ready to move on. All right. Well, let's move on to one last tournament, and and this is the Tallahassee Challenger that went on this past week. And uh, you know, really the reason that you know this is kind of exciting was you know Tommy Paul makes his second consecutive Challenger final, and you know last week he's able to take a title over Tennis Sandgren, uh, and he actually takes out Sandgren again in the semis of this tournament, four and three. But TP, man, he he's really on a roll. You beat Tennis Sangren twice in two weeks. You're doing something right. Absolutely. I grew up. I grew up. He was Tennis Sangren was always number one in the country when I was growing up, and that guy was was really tough and difficult to beat. Anytime he gets down, you know, he really takes his time, extends the points, extends the time in between points, makes you think about it. Um, he's a gamer for sure. And so anytime you're able to beat Tennis Sangren twice in two weeks, you're you're on the right track. And he's moving better. I'm so happy that he's finally healthy. And then he was able to maintain his confidence because when you're injured, the confidence is the first thing to go. Um, so it says a lot about the guy that he's able to, you know, bounce back this quickly after injury and uh, have some good results. So he's near his career high. I don't think he's – do you know if he's there yet? I mean – Either way, one more good result, and then and then he's at a new career high. So yeah, now he he. So I, I was just about to bring that up. He is at his career high of 143 in the world. So he's really pushing that threshold of, you know, getting into you know most of these two maybe even the 250 level tournaments and uh, you know a few more wins and he's kind of guaranteed himself a spot into most of the Grand Slams. So uh, you know he if he keeps the success up. Who knows, man? The, the and confidence, then, like and then said. that happens, then I get more Nike shoes because he hooks me up because he's a homie. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, good no, thing, he's, good only, thing he, no. he's hooked it up one time. But but I was like, you know, you can't ask him when the guy is hurt and only playing challengers. You know, you can't ask him for for swag. No, no. But Tommy Paul gets back, gets top hundred main draw slams. Hell yeah, yeah he's giving me some shoes. <laughs> Hook it well, up, good brother. Thing, <laughs> good thing no Nike reps are listening to this podcast because they might get upset with him if uh, <laughs> if, if they heard. No, that. it was a gift. I housed him for a little while or something. Right, like right, right, or something. No, no, I no, I have no idea what I'm talking about. That's none of that's true. <laughs> he didn't give me shoes either. <laughs> oh god, that's why this is you know recorded at six fifty eight in the morning. Um, but oh, one one other funny thing that he did. Um, he, he he started some like mini social media trend, right? He he did some like thing on the holding Twitter, things challenge. the holding things challenge. Yeah, what, what the hell is that? The holding things challenge. I was scrolling my Instagram feed and I just see him holding a banana <laughs> and holding um holding a flashlight. Mackie held a flash. He was holding random random shit. and 
I was like, what are you doing? He's like, bro, I'm holding stuff. <laughs> and, and then everyone else wanted to hold stuff too. And so they got in the action. He started like a chain viral reaction of everyone in the tennis community posting pictures of themselves holding things. <laughs> like Mackie McDonald, Cam Norrie, I mean, Riley Opelka, every, Mike Cation was holding some stuff. Mark Lucero was holding stuff. It was hilarious. And so I wrote a little piece on it for Baseline, um, which is sort of the fun social media aspect of tennis.com, which I write for. And that was funny. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. Good stuff. We, we might need to kind of boost that on the on the Cracked Rackets Instagram at some Y'all point. Y'all retweeted it. You did your job. Yeah. It, it's Thank funny. You for it's... that. I appreciate it. It doesn't go unnoticed. <laughs> All right. Good. I'm glad. Um, well, look, I mean, as we said, a great run for TP uh, at Tallahassee. He, he does lose in the final to Emilio Gomez. And, yeah, it, it, tough loss, 2-2 two and two in that final. But a really good two-week run, and hopefully we get to see – uh, a, a little more from him in in the next couple weeks. Uh, but moving on to our last segment, this is our winners and losers segment we do on every Sunday podcast for our Monday listeners. So I, I think a good place to start for me on the winner's side uh, if you were able to watch the TP Emilio match uh, there there was a pretty nice moment at the end where Emilio goes up to a, a pretty dejected uh, Tommy Paul and kind of goes over and talks to him and uh, gives him a little pat in the back and you know says you know what a, what a great two weeks he's had and uh, the, the commentators were saying you know just how this is the the kind of guy Emilio is and that he you know is one of the nicest guys on tour and so just a, a really nice thing to see it's pretty rare i think that uh you get you know a positive reaction from the losing player after a winner goes over to kind of console you i mean i've lost matches and i don't i don't even want to talk to the guy who beat me so uh tp responded pretty well and, and i think that's a testament to yeah know, i mean i think he ran out of gas you know there's there's something about tennis when you give it your all and you are truly gassed and can't really, you know, you can't compete at the highest level anymore. Um, the, the losses are a little easier to swallow. Maybe I mean better at swallowing losses than most players, but, um, <laughs> if you lose two and two, because you're clearly out of gas from a great two week run, um, it's definitely easier to handle. Yeah. Yeah. Not, no doubt. Um, but two, two other winners that I had, uh, from from this past week, you know, after 877 weeks in the top 100, Feliciano Lopez is finally outside of the top 100. Uh, so that that dates back to July of 2002. I was freaking six years old. It's absolutely insane. Uh, but I mean, just a he's a winner for for that. That is just unbelievable consistency. And you know, ever since I started watching tennis, I've, I've seen you know that that wonderful lefty. Uh, out on court and so um you know hopefully he can break back in the top 100 but he, he's a winner in my book and then uh you know a winner that i i had from this week and don't always have him as a winner uh but nick curious uh he he got some love on twitter for uh, like pulling over on the side of a road and uh like helping out some stranded yeah he stopped you know, he saw people cars broken down he yeah. drove by stopped asked if they needed help they said actually we do we've had a couple beers we're not doing too great <laughs> and he got out of his car and he helped, push, he helped push their car home it was amazing 
yeah, so I thought that was worth a little shout out. You know, good good guy Nick Curious uh, coming out, and then just the the last thing that I, I thought was interesting. We, we've talked about how there's been so many different winners uh, in 2019, and you know, Italy after Berrettini won this match is now the second country with three winners, uh, with France that also has three. So Australia's got two wins, Argentina's got two wins, Serbia has two wins, and USA has two wins. So. Uh, just kind of kind of cool to see the breakdown by country of, of all the different winners uh, in 2019. So that caps off my winners. Kale, uh, who were your winners from this week? My winners from this week is the name Petra. Um, <laughs> Petra Kvitova won Stuttgart, and Petra Martic won, in, won uh, Istanbul. And um, two things. Let's see. Petra Kvitova, she's probably going to be number one in the world at some point this year. She's fantastic. For how tall she is, she is an exceptional athlete. I think these these um, women hit these you know crushing flat ground strokes to the corner, and I think okay, no way, a six foot two, six foot one, Petra Kvitova is going to be able to get there and do something. But she gets there, gets down low, stays low through the court, and just cranks it. And she's so good, she's so consistent, she's so good, and her slice out wide serve is the second best weapon in women's tennis behind Serena's serve. Um, it's unstoppable. There's nothing you can do when she gets that sort of angle and pace on her lefty slider wide. And then Petra Martit, um, I got was lucky enough to interview her in Charleston, and she is the, the sweetest woman ever. She's so <laughs> sweet, all smiles, just so happy. She won her first title in Istanbul, walked over, gave her coach a hug. Just, just pure joy. And you could see it through the screen, and that was really cool um, to watch. So, the name Petra is my winner, and then also Tommy Paul. We talked about him; he's another winner um, in my book. Yeah, much deserved winners there. And as you said, Petra. I mean, I think she's number two in the world right now. Kvitova, that is that that Petra. Uh, and she, I think, if you know she does well enough in uh, Roland Garros, she she will take over that number one spot from Naomi Osaka. Uh, but let's let's move on to the losers this week. You know, I, I had a couple different ones, um, but I'm going to start with this one. Pierre Hughes Herbert announced that he's ending his doubles career with Nico Mahout to pursue singles. And look, I mean, he, he's a good singles player, and, you know, I've talked about him getting better, you know, with his movement on, as a singles player, but I think that's a mistake. I, I know that it's tough to play both singles and doubles in a tournament, but... Come on, man. You you and Mahout were on a roll. You guys have won many a Grand Slam together, and I think that that's just the wrong move. You're, you're leaving your doubles partner partner out to dry. Uh, he, I know. Got, he helped get him four Grand Slams, though. Pierre was, was one of the best juniors in the world, too. Like He, he knows that he, he is, belongs near the top of the game. I um, mean, it makes sense to me. Like, look, what what else do you want to do? What else are you trying to accomplish? Um, have they won an Olympic medal? Do you know that? Oof, I don't. I'll That'd be that interesting to, to find out. Um, I don't think so, but who knows? There. I mean, they've dominated for for several years, so they could have. But um, they won all four Grand Slams and doubles. So what you know? What else do you want? What else are you trying to accomplish? Like, uh, Pierre's young guys, like twenty six, might as well give it a shot on your singles career. Doubles is always going to be there for Air Bear. His du- game is perfectly suited to doubles, um, and so might as well give it a you know a fair shake because playing singles and doubles week after week is exhausting. Yeah, no, I, I, it is, but I, it's just 
No, I get it, but like they they if if you know they want all four Grand Slams together, like that's pretty cool. No one so, can take that away from you. Yeah, they they did not. Um, they I actually haven't done well uh, in the Olympics as far as I can tell. It looks like they lost first round of uh, the Olympics. Yeah, first round in in twenty sixteen. Oh, maybe they'll have to link up for the Olympics and, and get I'm their sure old they will. back. I'm sure they will. They're 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 too good. But just you know, as a guy who played a lot of doubles, it, it's tough tough to see that happen. Uh, but two other losers for me. I actually I was mixed on this one whether to have this as a loser or a winner, just because I think it's funny. BG running for the ATP board. Um, <laughs> I just think for for all the time that we spend, um, kind of kidding on him for the the ridiculous Twitter posting. I mean, obviously he's a legend for the way that he, you know, talks about tennis and everything. Um, yeah, the the whole ATP board election stuff is is getting kind of kind of out of hand and um, I, I think it's probably I don't think this is a winner or a loser. It's more just funny that that BG is is running for for the ATP board. It is pretty funny. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Ho- hopefully he he uh, kind of fixes his English when he's uh, in those ATP. Uh, the nicknames are great. Sorry, I'm yawning, but um, I mean he's great. What he the way he interacts with <laughs> he's, the, he's the way he, you just yeah from a not little bit. <laughs> the way he interacts with fans on Twitter is great, and so that's good for the sport. It's good to see. <laughs> it's true. Uh, and so my my last loser, uh, match fixing. Uh, there there's been you know talk about that. And I know we talk about betting here on the pod, but. Uh, there, there was an article recently about Marco Trungaletti, who's, uh, you know, a little bit of a whistleblower on the ATP tour for, for match betting and, or excuse me, for match fixing. And, and you know what? I, I, you know, I commend him for doing it. He has gotten a lot of backlash from players on tour for doing it, which is really sad. You know, guys won't even talk to him anymore and, and don't say hi to him at tournaments. Uh, and this is a guy, you know, who's been in the top 150. Uh, but it, it's pretty ridiculous. Like it, guys will tank matches for, for money and you know you just hate to see that that's the, this sport is you know about respect and respecting your opponent and who you're playing and, and in such an individualized sport I think it's just a terrible thing to see and so uh, yeah it's that, that's a loser the in match betting is tough and the fact that you can bet on the sets is tough because right you know what's to stop you from throwing the first set and then seeing what happens because you can place a bet on the first set right and you know you could still win the match and win the bet at the same time so it's tough. It's a tricky situation. You know, it's brutal. A lot of people wish there wasn't gambling on tennis, but it's one of the most popular gambling sports in the world just due to the volume. You know, there's always something to bet on in tennis. And, yeah, that, there's that. All right, my yeah. turn? Yep, yep. What are your losers? My losers are uh, Alexander Zverev and Grigor Dimitrov because I see <laughs> a lot of similarities. Um, well, right now, I mean, Zverev has, already has 10 titles. He's amazing. Don't get me wrong, he's got a bright future ahead of him, but I do sort of see a similar thing between them, and that's they go out on the court, and they're just, you know, using their ability and natural skills to just be out there hitting tennis balls, and they both hit the ball so well, so clean, but, like, what's what their game? Like, I don't know what their game is. Like, Zverev's game is, you would think, an aggressive baseliner, um, who can also move forward, serves humongous. But he's just out there, he looks lost. And so does Dimitrov. They just look lost. They're just sort of out there hitting balls. And the confidence isn't there right now. And so, you know, two of the, this is, I think, 
one of Dimitrov's worst ever seasons, and this is for sure Zverev's worst season ever uh, so far. So I they're mean, my losers. Zverev's going to get back on track. Through. Dimitrov, I'm not too confident he'll get it back on track, but we'll see. But those are my yeah, losers I mean, right now. They've got some. They got some work to do. Zverev hasn't made it past a second round of a tournament since Acapulco in February. I mean, loses second. He hasn't round won consecutive Wells. matches since Acapulco. Right. Right. I mean, loses on the clay. You know twice loses to to jerry and in, in barca loses to fonini and monte carlo and loses to munar uh in in morocco the, the the tournament before so not a good uh you know start to his clay season I definitely worry about him uh at, at the french yeah he's defending a lot of points too and he's coming up he won rome he did really well in madrid i don't know how far he made it but really well he's got a lot of points to defend so it's crunch time it's time for him to flip the switch it really is uh, is that is that your losers? Yep, that is correct. Alrighty. Well, that that is you know uh, our our tennis coverage for today. You know, as we said, this is going to be the part where we we tell you to leave uh, if you haven't seen Thrones yet, because boy, it, it was uh, an interesting episode. Kale, do you have it in you to to discuss for a few seconds? Oh, of course, of course, of course. Okay, so Thrones, holy fucking shit! Um, that was ridiculous. Like I, I don't even, I don't even know what to say. Like, yeah, that was ninety minutes of electricity, is what it was. <laughs> I mean, see, I think it's probably more like ninety minutes of fire. Um, it was really what it was. But I mean, seriously, like I think. Okay, a few things. The stool president. Um, as as many of you know, who does you know pizza reviews, he he gave his little review of it uh, at at the end of of the episode, and and he said it actually was kind of he said it was good and bad, you know the the plot for for what the plot was great, but he said you know you're basically watching like a, a fuzzy screen for you know forty five minutes of the ninety minutes. Like he was like he thought his his TV was f-ed up or something. Um, <laughs> So I mean I, I don't necessarily disagree. I, I think there there was part where I was like, Dad, is our is our TV broken? Because I can't even see what the hell is going on. Yeah, well that's why you got to turn all the lights off in your in your place and watch it. Dude, I, I was like movie theater. If you think I'm not setting up my screening as as like a close to a movie theater as possible for every episode <laughs> of Thrones, you're crazy. There was a funny meme I saw that was said uh my favorite scene from Game of Thrones and it was just a picture of a black screen. Oh memes after the episode were, were, yeah. were okay. I've seen better memes for sure. Yeah. The Jordan I mean, switching hands meme for Arya Stark was great. Um Yes. And then there were some other good ones, but you know, all in all, I've seen better memes. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the other thing, like, I sort mean, of canned, yeah. you know, they just sort of like, okay, we gotta get, we gotta get content out because it's Game of Thrones and it's gonna get clicks regardless of what we put out. So we have to oh, put stuff course. out. I get it, but uh, look, today I think there's gonna be some better memes. The meme creators have had time to sleep on it, and I think they're gonna yeah, be coming exactly. out with some better stuff today. <laughs> For sure. I mean, one I, can I, only hope. I, I I definitely. Do. I'm a big meme guy, by the way. Memes are memes are everything. Memes make me so happy. Wake up in the <laughs> yeah. morning, check Instagram, and you see something that just just starts your day off with some laughter. And there's no better way to start off your day than just cracking up at some stupid but uh, amazing meme. 
Absolutely. I mean, look, I, I'm hoping we, we see Arya on the throne uh, at the end of all of this. That that would make me happy and, and make me smile. Uh, you know, it, what, she what needs a, cool... a statue in Winterfell ASAP. Oh, my God. I mean, ASAP. Look, here, here's the major spoiler. She freaking kills the Night King. If you don't get a statue for killing the Night King, then I don't know what, what the hell is going on. Arya, let me just say one thing about Arya, and this, and this is all I've got. And I'm going to go back to bed for 30 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> she wakes up every day. And do you think Arya thinks it's going to be a good day when she wakes up? Do you think she's saying, oh, today's going to be fun. I think everything's going to go well today. Oh, boy, I hope this happens today. You think that's what she's doing? No. no probably not. No. She wakes up every day ready to suffer. She wakes up every day ready to fucking grind, dude. She's, dude, she wakes up and she's ready to suffer. It's going to suck. Today's going to be the worst day of my life, but I'm going to make it through because I'm a badass. I'm tougher than this. She is so mentally calloused by now. She is the baddest person on the planet. And that's all I'll say. She wakes up every day ready to suffer and eat shit. And she does, and she's better because of it. She is just awesome. Arya, if you're, she's everything that you know, I love about everything. Arya Stark is the best. Well, well, you heard it here first. You, we we officially know who Kale is in love with, and that is Arya Stark. Uh, but I agree. If, if tennis players had the mental toughness that Arya Stark has, yeah, uh, they they'd be golden. Don't expect. Don't wake golden. up. Uh, don't wake up in the morning expecting to win the match. Wake up yeah. in the morning saying that I'm going to go through hell and back and nothing is going to stop me and I'm going to remain and keep my mental toughness intact at all points in time. And if you come out with that attitude, you're going to win a lot more matches than, oh, I'm feeling good today. I think I'm going to win. Something bad happens and, you, and you know, you're you frazzled. You know, she, something's bad. Something bad is going to happen every match you play. And Arya is, would be, you know, she's like Nadal, honestly. <laughs> Oh God! Well, I I think that's as good a place to stop as ever. You know, if, if anything, tennis players can can learn from Thrones is that they they need better mental toughness. Uh, but I, I think that's a, a good place to wrap this up. Kale, thank you for joining me at this very early uh, Monday morning. Great great way to start our week. Uh, and, and and thank you. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. Have a good week. Yeah, and, but and also don't we... expect to have a good week. Expect to have a <laughs> week and suffer, but you're going to make it through because you're tough and you're a badass. Because you are like Arya Stark. You got to grind it out. It's, it's Monday, folks, and we hope you grind it out like Arya. But as always, got to give a special shout out to our super producers, Max Fleener and Danny Westhoff, who have a job to do with editing this podcast. And uh, as always, got to shout out the Cracked Racket Squad. You know, thank you to everyone who, who puts out content and, and works on you know, everything that we do on the website and all that. So uh, one last time for the entire team at Cracked Rackets, for my fantastic co-host, Kale Hammond, who got up with me this morning at 6.30 a.m. to do this. I am your host, Max Rothman. And Kale, what do we say? My roommate, Garrett Brasso, who played a, uh, tennis at UGA, is uh, sleeping right now. So we say that's a break, quietly. There we go. A quiet, that's a break. <laughs> and we'll see you, see you all tomorrow, everyone. Thanks. Thanks.